It's a choice for Joe and I. We are a couple first, parents next. This is not to say our children are on the back burner or they're not important. But if we're not solid, everything in this house shifts. The ground shifts beneath our feet. Hello, brave friends. Welcome to episode 132. This is Jessica Pate, your host. Every relationship has its struggles and triumphs. But not every relationship allows the world to peek behind the fairy tale curtain and see its gritty inner workings. This takes bravery and trust, especially when it's a relationship tethered to the added complexity of a diagnosed child. In this story episode, we hear from author Carrie Cariello, who is a mother to five children, one of whom was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. She has been married to her husband, Joe, for over 20 years, and as you will hear, not because they agree on everything or never fight. I will let her take it from here. I saw you today. I drove by just as you were standing on the hill taking pictures. The autumn leaves were brilliant confetti beneath your feet. You looked lovely. I have to be honest, sometimes I look at new brides and I think, oh, sweet Jesus. It's not that I'm cynical. It's just I've been around a while. My husband, Joe, and I have been married for 24 years. We've moved twice. We have five kids and one dog. It's easy to explain our life together in terms of time and numbers, and yet it is anything but years and digits. It is a first kiss, a sonogram, a family, autism. Autism humbles you. I don't know how else to describe it. Before we got married, Joe and I did something called pre-cana. It was a preparation course our church recommended. We sat in this couple's living room while their dark-haired toddler scooted around our feet. We answered questions about how we'll spend the holidays, how we'll handle a budget, where we'd like to live. No one asked what it would be like to have a special needs child together. A child who never sleeps, runs away every chance he has, screams swear words at the top of his lungs, struggles to make sense of the social landscape, takes medicine every day, gets suspended in middle school. Would it have mattered? No, probably not. But maybe it would have lodged something tiny and flickering in my subconscious. And when the day came and our son Jack was diagnosed with autism, I would have been more prepared. When it comes to marriage, there is no instruction manual. There is no how-to booklet for navigating the tricky waters of a combined life. From this point forward, you will share the same meal, bed, house, weekends, family. There will be moments where you feel tired of having your story tied up with his. Childhood baggage, parenting styles, his traditions, your traditions. A few days ago, Joe and I had a terrible argument. We stood in the kitchen shouting at each other. I was angry and frustrated. At the exact same time, I wanted him to fold me in his arms and hold me. What do we argue about, you ask? Everything. Nothing. Teenagers, the holidays, money, autism. What can I say? The clutter of life wears us down sometimes. We didn't talk for the rest of the day. I hate this. So many things happened, but I couldn't tell him because I was teaching him a good lesson about how right I was. A squirrel got his head stuck in the bird feeder. The UPS guy ran over a package on his way down the driveway. I heard an old song on the radio we both love. It was as though none of it had happened at all. Not the silly squirrel or the package of the song. Nothing is real until I tell it to Joe. 
Since we've met, we've argued about sunscreen Oreos, the right way to boil pasta, the best kind of vacation, where we should spend Easter, how much a new couch should cost. You will too. I am sorry to say it, but it is true, you will argue. One thing I wanna say is the whole do not go to bed angry is a crock of you know what. The worst words we've ever said to each other were when the clock creeped towards darkness. Remember when your mother said nothing good happens after midnight? She was right. Go to bed. Lie there and think your dark, murderous thoughts. Listen to his breathing. Pull the covers tight and take your own deep breaths. In through the nose, out through the mouth. You see, sleep is the elixir. It is the solution to many marital problems. You might not wake relaxed, but you will wake up ready to begin again. You will put waffles in the toaster. You'll get the kids on the bus. Life resumes. Yes, you will argue, but you will find ways to come back to one another. Time and time again, you will learn how to do this. The next day, Joe stood in my office. He untangled a set of lights I'd been meaning to hang, long strands with stars dangling from the bottom. Quietly, he undid the knots and loops until he had one string. As the afternoon faded outside the windows, he hung them. I looked at my computer while he did this. I knew he was telling me something, but I wasn't ready to hear it. There is no manual for marriage, it's true. Marriage is small pockets of time, moments of hope and love and loss, all mixed up with old-fashioned grit. Funny birthday cards, goofy texts, the silent treatment, stolen kisses, give and take, compromise, failed attempts, and new beginnings. Morning coffee, smiles across the dinner table, pretty lights untangled. It's just you, him, and this wildly ordinary life you are trying to build. One day you will look up from your computer and see him standing before you, his hands full of stars. You'll watch his silhouette against the dusky night and you will realize he holds up half your sky. He holds up half my sky. Nothing is real until I tell him. The specificity she uses in this piece really made it feel universal to me. I know in my marriage, we are under so much stress and it can just trickle into bickering or arguments because we're just both so incredibly taxed and we have to be intentional and we have to relearn how to communicate, how to handle conflict and when to call in a therapist to help us stay on the same page amidst chronic hardship. Marriage is not easy. Marriage is not natural. It's something that requires so much intention and work and patience and growing and learning and humility. So many things, right? I think you're really going to get a lot out of my conversation with Carrie. She is so real and raw and honest. And you know, that's a magic formula for me. I appreciate when people write and share so openly. She shares some tangible strategies for staying solid with your partner, even through the most stressful of seasons. Carrie, welcome to Brave Together podcast. I'm so glad that you carved out some time to be here. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. 
I love your writing and I love your voice. And I also watched your TED Talk, which was so great and so touching. And Jack was really little at that time, right? When you did that? Yeah, I want to say he was 10. It was probably eight years ago and he's 18 now. And what was that experience like being on a TED stage and getting to share your story? Well, it's so interesting because I had done very little speaking up until then, maybe maybe four or five events. And I was comfortable for the most part, but the TEDx talk, the platform is you have to memorize your talk. And I put hours upon hours into memorizing it. And the other piece of it, which seems so silly, but you don't have a podium. So you have nowhere to kind of rest. You're like free floating up there. (laughs) And so that took some adjusting. Like normally I, I wear a lot of black and I would have typically chosen a black dress, but they said, if you do that, your head just looks like it's floating. So don't wear black. That's why I wore that terrible green dress. And it it was a real, like, it was eye-opening in terms of how to deliver a speech and keep it emotionally connected, even after you've rehearsed it so many times. It was an exhilarating thing to be a part of. It was an exciting day. Oh, that's so great. That's definitely on my dream list to Mm. get up there. But I would be so nervous about the memorizing the entire piece. It was a lot. I mean, for me, I do almost all of my talks as a letter to Jack. The team that I was working with was kind of reluctant for that format, but I just really fought for it because I know that's the best way to connect people emotionally to my son. My feedback has been that it was a success, so I'm happy. I think it was great. I think it was great. So today's story, we're talking about marriage and you've been married for how long, Carrie? Oh, God. 24 years. It'll be 25 <laughs> years this year. Wonderful. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's fantastic. That's a huge victory. That's a huge milestone and achievement. I mean, marriage is hard anyways, right? And then you add exponential parenting, and then it's just that much more challenging, and we mm-hmm. have to be that much more intentional. Yeah, 100%. I mean, so we have five kids together and our second son is diagnosed with autism. And I think special needs parenting is certainly, it's magnified because we both come into it with different goals and different approaches and strategies. And, you know, to be successful together, we have to be able to combine them into something that's workable. Yes, yes. And I can feel, even though you're so honest in your writing and you you just say exactly what happens and how it really is, you're not glossing over anything, you're not candy coating. But yet, Carrie, I feel like what comes through is your bond with Joe and how important he is to you, how he's your person. Like, I love the way you talk about him. It's very, it's it's palpable. I mean, I can feel like I can feel it through your writing. Thank you. Yeah. We live out loud. I write out loud. Joe's very generous. He never attempts to edit me. And, you know, he owns two dental practices. He has a lot of people on his team. He has a lot of patients that might come in and say, oh, you know, I saw what she wrote about you or, and he's very willing to let me be myself. And I'm grateful for that. You know, we do have a bond. If I had to describe our marriage, we're not a a couple that's prone to bickering very much, sort of that day-to-day poking at each other. We're prone to huge, huge arguments, you know, loud, loud arguments. And it's maybe four times a year and the air sort of gets cleared, but we always find a way to come back to one another. And I love that phrasing. You said that in your piece. How do you find that way to come back to one another? What is your practice or what helps you? 
I mean, I don't even, we have a familiar dance. That's all, that's how I can describe it. So we ha- we might have this, you know, we just had what I called an autism standoff about a week and a half ago over some stuff going on with my son. And Jack doesn't live here anymore. He's in a college program. Now, when he lived here, he sort of kept us in check because research tells us that Jack's nervous system can only reach the highest nervous system in the room. So if we go high, he gets very, very high. And we we maybe toned ourselves down a little bit, but this time it's like, well, Jack's not here, so we can just, you know, there was a jaggedness to it. Also, the stakes of what's in front of us are very, very high right now with Jack's program. So we had this autism standoff. It was a Friday night. And our familiar dance is just some quiet time. And then the next morning or the next day, Joe might, you know, reach out with a little joke or he'll just touch my hand or it's just the smallest gestures that are a reminder, like we're still here. We're still together in this. I love that. And you have been a very committed writer. You you write once a week for how long, right? I mean, you've been, yeah. I don't know, have you written like 200 or? <laughs> I wonder, we should do the math. I've published a new post every Monday for, it's coming up on 11 years and I've never missed one and I've, it's always been new. And I don't at this time accept guest posts just because I, I, um, I have kind of my way of doing it that's working, but yeah, so 10, I didn't do a lot. I written a lot. A lot. That's over 500. That's maybe close to... 550, if you're getting close to 11 years, if I'm doing the math really quick in my head. (laughs) That's amazing. And to be that consistent, Carrie, that is such discipline. I admire that. I am a very disciplined individual. And I say that it, it can get in my way sometimes, right? There's a saying like how you do one thing is how you do everything. And that is absolutely me. I, I went away on a cruise last week, which is why I'm like so pink. And I joined some other writers, people I never knew. I went away with people I met on the internet. Wow, that's <laughs> and, so fun and so brave. It was so fun, but I was nervous. But even on the cruise, I, I do certain things every morning and in a certain order, you know, and I adhere to that whether I'm at home or I'm away. So it did take a certain amount of discipline, but now it's just part of, it's like breathing to me. I I don't know what I would be without that Monday morning post. Mm -hmm. That's so great. What do you love most about writing? I love the opportunity it gives me to see things from every angle possible. I write from my own point of view, but I write observations I've made. I write how I've noticed other people interact. I write how I think Joe might feel in a certain instance and And I just love exploring things that way. Oh, that's so great. And you have written a book and you have a book coming. Am I right? Well, I'm finalizing the details on the second book. I do have a first book that is same time frame as the blog, about 11 years old. And I was just looking at some stats on it to make my case for the new book. So it's just like the little book that could. I mean, it's still, it it was right now, it's like number 100 in memoirs of parenting with disabilities. You know, like it's not a New York Times bestseller by any means, but it just plugs along. And I'm grateful for that. Oh, that's so great. Any tip for anyone who's listening saying, oh, yes, I want to write a book. I want to write a book. What would you say? You know, it's so basic that I get asked that question a lot. I want to write a blog. I have a story to tell. You simply have to sit down and write it. It is not glamorous. It is not sophisticated. You have to overcome what's called imposter syndrome. I think we're all guilty of it. I was. It it took me probably five or six years after the book to even admit that I'm a writer. 
to people because you just think, well, who am I to say that about myself? It's like saying, you know, I'm also a runner. I run every single day. But to say those things, you know, invites a sensation of unease in me. Like, who am I to expect the world to perceive me that way? But I am both of those things. So I would just say, sit down and write. There's no other way to begin. I think it was Barbara Kingsolver, one of my favorite writers that said, you come up with this huge idea. It's like this beautiful, colorful, luminous butterfly. Like, here's the story. Here's the chapter. Here it is. And you just light up inside. I mean, it's physical. Our bodies tell us everything we need to know. And it's like, I can't, I got to get this down. And then you sit down. And what happens is you have to kill the butterfly. You have to stab it onto your paper and (laughs) we're going to kill it. And It happens every time with me. Like once I read those words, it was like, yes, that's exactly the experience. You take this pink cloud of an idea and you have to morph it into black and white sentences. Things get lost. Things get better. Things change. And you have to, over time, become comfortable with that process. That is such a great illustration. That's powerful. Yeah. I'll say that sometimes. It's time to tack the butterfly to paper. It's not pretty, but gets the job done. Oh, that's so great. Well, congrats on, on your second that you are working on. I'm sure that's fulfilling and painful. <laughs> Both. Both can be true. <laughs> and and speaking of that, you mentioned that in your piece to the both and moments where there's this moment that you're so angry at Joe, but then you also want him to just hold you tight. Let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly a conflicting experience when we argue because I feel so far from him. And at the same time, I want to, I think, how did we get here? How did we get to this point of such total disagreement? And it's shrouded in finger pointing and blame and accusations and like, how, how did we move so far apart? And so it's in those kernels of time that I just so long to be close to him again. And to repair, right? We're taught that kids do best when they learn that rupture and repair are possible. And I think as adults, it's important to remind ourselves that too, the strongest relationships are the byproduct of that process. So true. I like how you mentioned about going to premarital counseling or you went to a workshop or a weekend or something. And wouldn't it be so great if all premarital counselors put in the question, what if, what if you had a child who had a disability or medical complexities? Let's talk about that. Let's think that through. Let's feel that through because no one, when they get married, ever even thinks about it at all. (laughs) You're talking about finances. You're talking about your family backgrounds. You're talking about your histories. You're talking about relationship paths and communication styles or whatever, but no one asked that question, which would be, you know, a record scratcher, right? It's not all warm and fuzzy, but, but I think it's, it would be a great question to throw out to couples starting their life out. Yeah. I think for me, you know, I, it wouldn't have changed anything. I can't imagine. It might've been a little bit of a conversation starter and it might've just lodged something in my subconscious this is possible. It's possible that life could take a completely different turn than as expected. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I certainly, unless you have something I would imagine like in your family background that could show up for you, it was the furthest thing from my mind ever. 
That and miscarriage. Joe and I had a miscarriage. We actually wound up having two. I had two miscarriages and I was completely unprepared for that. Mm -hmm. And that's its own terrible loss. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think touching on that for a new couple would not be a bad thing. Yes. Yes. I like how you also talk about how, you know, we're all told it seems don't go to bed angry, but how you go against that. And I love that. Go to bed, lie there and think your dark, murderous thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. It feels that way. Um, (laughs) But it's I, I appreciate that because sometimes we do just need to sleep on it and have a fresh thought or feeling in the morning. Nothing. Joe and I have never like resolved anything at midnight ever. We've never said anything. If we were in the heat of it, nothing kind was said after 10 o'clock. And, you know, so I am a hundred percent. I always feel better in the morning, even if I didn't sleep that well. I just feel you, it, it seeps out of you. You know, we talk about the way anger shrouds the true sensations that we're skipping over, fear, embarrassment, shame, uncertainty. So that throughout the night, I think that rage just kind of seeps out of your pores a little bit and you're left with those feelings. And that's what you get up in the morning and deal with. That's so true. That's good. It gives it a chance to, yeah, kind of ooze out so that you can say, actually, I'm just really sad or I'm really scared or this is such an uncertain season that we're in and it's, you know, it just comes out so snappy and angry. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. good. That's good. What would you say to young marrieds? If you could, if you could speak it to a group of young marrieds, knowing what you know now, what would you share? Well, you know, I always, I'm very open that we have sought marriage counseling and greatly enjoyed it, by the way. Greatly, greatly enjoyed it. We went to this gentleman and he was retiring. We had gone for a couple of years and he sort of tried to like phase us out, you know. And he said, well, I'm, you're done here. <laughs> we were <laughs> devastated. We just loved him. We just loved him. You know, and I kind of liken that to you have a cracked tooth, you go to a dentist. Your car is making a weird noise, you probably take it to a mechanic. Why wouldn't you go to somebody who has seen every marriage in front of them before, who has so much gentle wisdom about it, and who at the end of the day, if it was anything like ours was, they just remind you that you love each other. I mean, what a gift. What a gift. Also, you know, I grew up in a somewhat chaotic home with marriages crumbling all around me. I always say I've I've experienced three divorces and not one of them has been mine. So it's a choice for Joe and I. We are a couple first, parents next. This is not to say our children are on the back burner or they're not important, but if we're not solid, everything in this house shifts, the ground shifts beneath our feet. And there's very specific ways to do that. You know, it's easy to deliver these platitudes, but it's very specific. You have to make time for each other once a week at the very least. You know, for Joe and I, we went out to dinner once a week since my oldest, who's 19, was born. We've gone out once a week and do what it takes to put that in place if you can, because that was critical for us to be able to see each other as partners and husband and wife instead of vomit cleaner uppers and tantrum soothers. (laughs) (laughs) Great descriptors. Yeah, exactly. No, it's so, so important. And I know you absolutely didn't mean that your kids are on the back burner. You're just making your marriage a priority. And I appreciate how you describe that. And it's only by 
making a commitment. It is not going to happen naturally because there's so much that our kids require of us, whether it's typical motherhood or next level motherhood. It's easy to just get completely swallowed up in their needs and their activities and their schedules. And the only way that we're going to preserve our relationships is if we're intentional. Yeah. And I encourage young people, when I talk to young moms, I hear it a lot about like I could about yoga, about date night, about all these things. I should, I should get back to that class. I really should get a sitter. And to me, the paradigm shift starts with language. I will, I will get to yoga this week. I will find a sitter this week. It's just opening the mind to an action. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think it's really important that we shift the language for sure. And another thing that I always think of that I tell young moms is ask for help from the beginning, because if you assume that you have to do it all, when you are starting to get crispy and heading towards burnout, it's going to be very hard to change those patterns after five, 10, 15 years of you doing everything and not asking your partner for help. Yeah, and be wary. I, I invite people to really be curious about why they think they need to do it all. I, from the beginning, never wanted to do it all. I wanted to do as little as possible. I still do. So I had to make a conscious effort to acknowledge that Joe does things differently than I do, very differently. He, since they were babies, he dressed them differently. He did everything. And that was perfectly okay. So I think there's a real need for some moms to just take it's a, it. I just would be curious about the martyrdom of it all. Like I'm the only one. I experienced that a little bit when Jack was a baby because you know he was diagnosed pretty early and I thought I was the only one that was going to be able to figure this out. And that is like emphatically not the case. Hmm. Did you hear that everyone? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and this is said with love and with care and with compassion. And it's so understandable how moms get themselves into these pigeonholes, right? Yes. And it's never too late for a shift. It's never too late for a shift. Absolutely. I completely agree. Carrie, is there anything that you haven't said that's burning on your heart that you want to get out? I feel, you know, really great about this conversation. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to discuss the writing aspect. I don't get to do that very much. So, so I would encourage anybody who wants to write to just simply sit and write. It's not going to get easier. Just sit yourself down, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you. It's so good to be with you and best of luck on your coming book and endeavors and just keep writing so raw and real. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much for reading. Thanks so much for listening today. Do us a favor and leave us a review and a rating so that this podcast can get into the ears and the hearts of more and more moms. Did you know that Brave Together podcast is an extension of our nonprofit organization called We Are Brave Together? We Are Brave Together serves an international community of caregiving moms by offering support groups that are virtual and in-person, educational resources, and low-cost weekend retreats. And we offer retreat scholarships. We represent all 50 of the United States and 21 countries around the world. We are here to remind you that you are not alone. You are braver and stronger than you think, and that girlfriends who get you are sacred and mandatory. To join us today, go to wearebravetogether.org. Our support and sisterhood await you.